Welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest, and I live here in Austin, Texas. I've had the gift of sobriety since December the 27th of 1972. Grateful for that. We are finishing up now a series on Harry Tebow. This is episode five. And uh, Tebow was the first psychiatrist to really kind of legitimatize uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. He sent a patient of his, Marty Mann, uh, to explore the program. He had received a monograph of the of the big book, gave it to her, and he saw her undergo a profound change. And his interest was, what is going on here in AA that I, as a psychiatrist, am missing? So he began to study uh, some of the psychological uh, components that were present in the AA program. I found his writing, particularly his article on ego factors in Surrender, uh, the one we just did two episodes on, uh, tremendously helpful uh, in my own recovery. This is another article that was somewhat helpful to me, not as much so uh, if you want to skip an episode, (laughs) go back and read some of the other ones. This one might not be as helpful for you. But I think it does have uh, some uh, interest that he comments on. I think he gets it wrong in in some ways, but we'll uh, I'm, I'm certainly open to uh, hearing comments from you guys on that. This article is entitled Surrender versus Compliance in Therapy with Special Reference to Alcoholism. It was written in 1953, and it was written for a group of psychiatrists. It was written in a journal. So it's a bit heady, but we as alcoholics get to read it too, since we're the ones he's uh, actually talking about. Put a copy of this in the show notes and a link to an online version. And again, if you want the full collection of Harry Tebow's writings, Hazelden put out a book uh, called His Collected Writings. And that will also be in the show notes. So my problem with Harry on this, and we'll we'll get into it, is uh, he comes down against compliance. And uh, I understand what he's saying, that that, uh, it's different than surrender. And it is, uh, but I don't know that it's all bad. Uh, Well, we'll get into that. So let let me me have Harry talk for himself. I'll do some reading from uh, from the article and, and stop along the way and make some comments. Kind of begins with a a brief review. He says, since becoming a sideline observer of AA in 1939, my approach to alcoholism has undergone an almost total reorientation. The presence of an apparently unconquerable ego became evident, and it was this ego which had to become humble. I think that's the gist of his uh, earlier article, and it's extremely important to to get an understanding of that. My experience of of that of that is that this is a lifelong encounter. Uh, it's not just a one time. I I hit a wall. I surrendered, and off to la la land I go. But it's a it's a lifelong encounter of the ego in experience with the divine. He talks about then the role, the role of hitting bottom, 
says, which means reaching a feeling of personal helplessness began to be clear. It was this process that produced in the ego an awareness of vulnerability, initiating the positive phase. In hitting bottom, the ego becomes tractable, open to learning, malleable, teachable, ready for humility, he says. The conversion experience has started. And that's important that, uh, you know, when we talk about step 12, anytime people mention step 12, so quickly they go to, well, step 12 is helping other alcoholics, you know, you know I'm doing 12 step work. But the first part of that step is having had uh, a spiritual, originally a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening, it got changed to uh, a somewhat weakened version, Wilson said, uh, he wanted to change it back. But that is the purpose of the of the of the 12 step journey is to undergo this psychic change, conversion experience, transformation at the deepest level of the psyche. That's what the steps are there for. Hitting bottom is, is the beginning of that process for us. Harry says, I realize that hitting bottom is ineffectual if not followed by a surrender. Hitting bottom must produce a result which is surrender. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you look at them, they're living on the bottom, but it's not registering. There isn't another part of self that says, what the hell is going on here? I need to change. It's that readiness uh, for change to take the steps uh, that, that he's going to really refer to as surrender. Like I say, this is an ongoing thing, not a one-time event. At least that's, that's my belief. Harry goes on and says, the surrender concept has not generally been well-received, except by some AAs who recognize its validity in their own experiences. One or two psychiatrists have told me they're beginning to see the usefulness of the concept, but no one, to my knowledge, has yet come forward with a paper supporting the thesis of surrender out of his own observations. It goes on to say, one reason for this lag is the resistance to the idea of surrender. It seems too completely defeatist. Were I writing that article now, Ego Factors and Surrender, I would change it in this respect so as to discuss the term surrender in linkage with other less to be shunned concepts. Now, I, I think uh, I like that admission there. There's no doubt surrender is the word uh, that's used repeatedly in the big book, and it's a concept that is ingrained in AA. It's not going to change, but it does have a negative connotation to it, uh, especially to an ego. <laughs> Our egos are easily offended, and, and God, surrender uh, Look out, look out. Uh, you may have me cornered right now and I, I may sign the paper, but what's happening in my heart, which is really where the process has to go on. And I'm, I'm convinced in that sense, it can't be looked upon as a negative thing, but has to be given a positive connotation. I have used over the years um, the word 
word alignment as an alternative. I align my ego with God. I align my ego with Alcoholics Anonymous. Alignment is, is, is getting, getting that ego that is so easy, easily gotten out of sync with those, with those, with sanity, let's get right down to it, <laughs> with sanity, uh, that I have to realign it. Now you could say I have to re-surrender, uh, and, and, and that's okay, I guess, but if the, watch out, watch out for at the unconscious level that there's not uh, still a battle going on. I did some work for a while there with trauma survivors and for, for, for trauma survivors, especially, I think the idea of surrender, of letting go uh, is, is a, a psychic challenge that they're not ready to meet uh, because of the abuse, uh, sexual, emotional, whatever it may be, um, makes them really reticent to do that. And I would put myself in that category too, because I suffered a lot of child abuse uh, in, in growing up. So uh, that, that element at the very deep parts of the psyche that, that rejects this idea of surrender, if it can be approached more positively with an idea of aligning myself with powers that are here to help, uh, it, it, it takes some of that sting out and allows me to uh, take the, 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 the step that is necessary. And, and I think in the end is really what winds up being exactly the same. So, so now Harry starts uh, pointing out a big difference between the concept of surrender. He refers to it in the, in the first part of his paper as submission, but it's really compliance that he's talking about. And it gets kind of confusing in the paper, so I'm going to change it going forward. And where he says submission, I'm just going to switch compliance because he's going to get there eventually. So he says in, in, in the article on surrender, uh, one fact must be kept in mind, namely the need to distinguish between compliance and surrender. In compliance, an individual accepts reality consciously, but not unconsciously. He, I'd add, or she, accepts as a practical fact that, uh, that they cannot at that moment conquer reality, but lurking in the unconscious is the feeling, they'll come a day, which implies no real acceptance and demonstrates conclusively that the struggle is still going on. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about the struggle that each of us faces in step one. Admitted we're powerless over alcohol, drugs, food, sex, whatever it might be. Our lives had become unmanageable. Um, that's, that's the, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that the ego comes up against repeatedly. And, um, uh, we will get into that a little bit more deeply as well. Okay, so let's get back to Harry. With compliance, which at best is a superficial yielding, tension continues. Tension. Watch for that. When on the other hand, 
the ability to accept reality functions on the unconscious level, there is no residual battle, and relaxation ensues with freedom from strain and conflict. In fact, it is perfectly possible to ascertain to what extent the acceptance of reality is on the unconscious level by the degree of relaxation which develops. So let, let, let's pause here just for a minute and look at Wilson. Uh, when, he, when he describes his surrender in, in, in Towns Hospital, God, if there is a God, help me, you know, and then he has this white light experience. He has an encounter with the divine, all right? And that satisfies something very deep inside of him that he had been looking for outside of him. All right, the great reality is now within. And what does he say? He says, that night I slept like a baby. Why did I sleep like a baby? Because the unconscious had no fight left in it. It was rightly related, completely aligned with, and that brings about a period of peace. But remember, Wilson got tremendously depressed and spent 10 years or 11 years. It didn't stay that way. And I don't know too many people who, who undergo a pink cloud experience, which is wonderful. Uh, and, and I think they're quite legitimate, but it doesn't last, not without work, not without continuous realignment of that self. To me, steps 10, 11, and 12 are absolutely vital that I'm watching, watching the condition of my ego. Is, is it enlarged? Is it uh, taking on godlike qualities? You got to watch that. What is that? How did I act yesterday? How do I feel now? Watch, watch, watch. And then 11, pray, pray, pray because you're gonna to need to hear from the power greater than self and be assured by that power that all is well. You just went a little nuts there, you know? You went a little insane. You thought you could do and be more than you are. Now you can be a whole lot, but allow that to come through you rather than to be you all right? And if it comes through us, the power is limitless. If it, if it tries to uh, come from us, then we're set on a course of ego reinflation. That's the point. He says, the greater the relaxation, the greater is the inner acceptance of reality. Big Book says, we stopped fighting anything or anybody, even alcohol. The fight stops. In early sobriety, I, I was definitely in, in a state of compliance. Part of me was very much at war, okay? Part of me still wanted to drink. And, and I, I'd look at life ahead without alcohol. It would terrify me. And I couldn't conceive of how could I, how could I possibly be at peace if this huge chunk of me, which I was over-identified with, you know, was going to be removed. What the hell would happen to me? But I'd keep this fight to myself. I wouldn't talk about it. The denial that was going on 
I mean, there's so much pressure, you know, you go to an AA meeting and you say, well, you know, part of me doesn't really think I'm an alcoholic. Part of me thinks uh, I'd really like to drink, you know? Uh, well, uh, we don't talk about that, <laughs> but we need to talk about that. And we need to talk about that with somebody. And we need to be honest about that with God, all right? Or otherwise, it's going to contaminate us. It, you know, it, it, it will fester in the unconscious. When I got to the point where I could, I could say, hey, you know, I keep getting these thoughts about I want to drink. And then people could say what? Well, that's normal. Now, that's a sign of your insanity. You know, learn to accept it, learn to recognize it. Don't hide it. You don't act on it. But the worst thing you can do is deny it. So to find safe people, I can talk uh, about this inner world, this stuff that's going on at the unconscious level is extremely, extremely important. And if you don't have access to a psychiatrist, and most of us don't, that's what two-way prayer is about. You know, God, I'm feeling this. I want this. Help me, because I don't understand this. You know, that's a beautiful question that then opens, opens the unconscious up for other parts of the unconscious. I mean, there's shadow parts of the unconscious, and there's an inner addict in everybody, every alcoholic and addict is an inner addict that uh, talks crazy crap, but there's also another part. There's also an inner divine. And, 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 and if I can learn to access that inner divine and get honest with it about, about what, the condition of my mind, that's where the healing is going to happen, and that's where it has to happen. I mean, Tebow is spot on. It is at the level of the unconscious that the victory needs to be won, uh, one day at a time. All right. I made a note here about uh, drunk dreams. Uh, he, he doesn't talk about this in his article, but uh, is, isn't, it, isn't it a fact for, for uh, most of you guys out there and gals that uh, first year, two year, five year, there's lots and lots of drunk dreams going on. Sir, sir, certainly were with me, you know. Being a good LA, doing my stuff, you know, ba 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 ba. Go go to bed at night. Boom! I blew it. I blew it. Well, is that a terrible thing? Is it an awful thing? I don't think so. At a real level, it's the unconscious starting to deal with this stuff, and it's a good thing. It's actually a sign of a good thing happening to me. And so, talk about it. Talk about it with people. You know, you're not alone. You're not alone. But the worst thing you can do is feel guilt about it or shame about it. You know, you got to start getting honest about it. Okay, we've talked about the inner addict, that uh, it's an unconscious part of ourselves. And uh, if, if you can get that geography of the unconscious mind, uh, the, that there's powerlessness uh, over, over alcohol, and I can get that 100%. But the depth of the unmanageability of my mind, and that's what I was told, you'll never realize that fully, never fully. Um, and, and I think that's accurate. It's, it's certainly my, been my experience. Uh, I haven't uh, uh, yet. <laughs> uh, I get flashes of it, I get moments of it, and those are wonderful, you know, 
where the ego is right-sized. But watch out. It's like the Terminator. It gets destroyed, but then like, it's like Mercury. It comes back together, reinflates, And uh, so it demands constant watchfulness, constant watchfulness. All right. In the next uh, part of his article, he talks about understanding acceptance. Before digging into this, I just want to pay some tribute to Dr. Paul uh, in his story in the big book, uh, page 417 gets quoted lots and lots of times because I think he, he does about the best job I've ever seen of really describing what is it that happens when an ego is right-sized and in right relation with the higher power at the unconscious level? Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. doesn't mean God is causing it. It means this is the world and God is in it with us, not absent from it and hiding uh, up on some cloud is the great reality within and among, you know, and, and the expression of that reality depends on us. Are we going to become the, that which we are capable of becoming, or are we not? He says, until I could accept my alcoholism, I couldn't stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. It's a high goal, but it's the right goal. And, and one of the things I was told early in sobriety um, is uh, if, you, uh, if you adapt the normal level of spirituality, the normal level of consciousness, you're going to be screwed. <laughs> Because the normal people, they ain't doing such a good job of this, you, you know, and, and unless we get it right, you know, those people may rust out, but we're going to burn out. And so we need a higher dose of spirituality, a more concentrated access to spirituality than does the normal pe person. And you just got to accept that as an addict, that being normal can't be the goal, you know. <laughs> you're screwed. But being all that you can be, and this is sixth and seventh step stuff that we'll get into in a minute. I wish the, the, the other, the longer version of the serenity prayer uh, were, were said. It's not said at meetings because there's a Jesus element in it, and I understand that. Uh, um, but it kind of catches the second half, what needs to be addressed in recovery. So, I'm going to read the serenity prayer. I was kind of taught the we version of it. And I always prefer that because it ain't about I, you know, uh, I, 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 uh, it is about we, and, and, and there's a difference. So we all know the first, the first half, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But the second half, 
living one day at a time, moment to moment, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as we would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if we surrender to your will. And again, if we align ourselves with your will, so we may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. And that's, that's, that's wholeness. That's wholeness that's being presented there. You know, it's not the denial of the, of the suffering and the pain. It's, it, it's, the, it's the realization that there is suffering, that there is pain, but that there is God present in that situation not removed from. I wonder in his article if Harry isn't only talking about acceptance of alcoholism rather than the deeper acceptance of the human condition. And that's the thing I find people are searching for. Yes, not drink, good, wonderful, but can you offer me more? And I think the program does offer more. It offers a great deal more. But you can't stay just stuck in the program, stuck in the steps. You've got to use them as a springboard to spiritual growth. And that's what Wilson did. It's what Dr. Bob did. He had a library filled with other books, not just one book repeated over and over and over again. You become an AA fundamentalist. You can become a religious fundamentalist. And... Uh, both of them are really, really dangerous. You know, it's, it's growth and change and uh, learning to take direction um, and learning how to, how to love. The greatest lesson I learned from a, a woman in uh, early recovery was her saying at an AA meeting that alcoholism, addiction is a love disorder. Absolutely right. I am blocked from love. I'm blocked from receiving it, and I'm blocked from giving it. And, and that's the inner reality that I got to get in touch with. I got to be breathing in that love, living in that love. And, and if I'm doing that, then, 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 then at the unconscious level, uh, I'm becoming a changed human being, then, then, then the inner addict is is not going to be hounding me where whereas if i'm running on fumes spiritually you watch for that little sucker to show up harry says acceptance appears to be a state of mind in which the individual accepts rather than rejects or resists he is able to take things in to go along with to cooperate to be receptive contrary wise he is not argumentative uh, quarrelsome irritable or contentious for the time being, at any rate, the hostile, negative, aggressive elements are in abeyance, and we have a much pleasanter human being to deal with, even ourselves. Acceptance as a state of mind has many highly admirable qualities, as well as useful ones. Some measure of it is grateful to be desired. Its attainment as an inner state of mind is never easy. Many of us trying to find a softer, easier way, but we could not. This is the goal. This is the goal. 
It's that second half of the serenity prayer. Rohr, Rohr said, Richard Rohr says that two things powerful enough to change a person, pain or prayer. I love that insight, that wisdom. Pain, continuously banging your head, can change you. You know, can bring about a bottom. And that bottom can bring about a surrender. And that surrender can introduce me to uh, a new reality. But so can prayer. You know, two things powerful enough to change a person, pain or prayer. Just most people choose pain. And, and if the pain gets bad enough, they turn to prayer. That's what Wilson did in the hospital. You know, God, if there is a God, that was, that's a beautiful prayer. You know, and that's the kind of prayer that's meaningful and that has to be done uh, in the morning quiet time. You know, it's nice to read 15 different prayers uh, out of a book. And isn't that sweet and pious and lovely? I, I don't do much of it. I look at myself and say, yeah, I need help. <laughs> look what I did yesterday. Look what I said yesterday. Look how I felt this morning. I need help. That's prayer. And that gives, that gives the higher power an opportunity to address you where you are, not where you should be, where you are. I never get, I never get yelled at for where, where, you know, God's saying, well, you should be here, you dumb little idiot. Never get that. Got, got it from my old man. I don't get it from this father. <laughs> I get, well, are you ready now? It's a very good sense of humor. Next point is important. Back to Tebow. He says, it is necessary to point out that no one can tell himself or force himself wholeheartedly to accept anything. One must have a feeling conviction. Otherwise, the acceptance is not wholehearted, but half-hearted with a large element of lip service. There is a string of words which describe half-hearted acceptance. Submission, resignation, yielding, compliance, acknowledgement, concession, and so forth. With each of these words, there is a feeling of reservation, a holding back, a tug in the direction of non-acceptance. In, in the unconscious, there is a ton of shadow material, material that got repressed, forced down, pushed away, all right? Uh, not looked at, not digested, not integrated, you know? And, and, and that's the stuff that keeps coming up out of the cellar and knocking on our door. That's, that's what the desire to drink is really all about, you know? Uh, it's that I'm not living. And the unconscious said, I want to live. I want to have fun. Well, that's a part of us where there's the light. This is, this is pure Jung stuff. Wherever there's light, light casts a shadow. So you can look at the light and it's lovely, but you better start looking at the shadow stuff too, because it's in there. And, and, and that's why step 10 is, is uh, so critical. Bring it to life. You know, don't make a little checklist of 15 points. Look at your actions and look at your feeling state, because that's where it's going to come about. And, and be honest about it, open about it, and bring it to your prayer life. He says, most people regard non-acceptance as a sign of willful refusal. This bypasses all current knowledge of the unconscious elements in resistance and willpower. Others better informed about those attributes avoid the use of such phrases as willful refusal. They know 
that it is largely unconscious attitudes and feelings that determine the conscious thinking and hence do not suppose that resistance can be given up by an act of will on the part of the conscious mind. You cannot will yourself to surrender. It's impossible. Be nice if you could. But you can act your way to where surrender may happen to you. But it will always be a happening to you rather than a you causing it. Which in the end is really helpful because uh, if I've created something, my ego will turn around and say, well, I did that, screw it, you know. But if it's a gift, it's different. It's different. And in the end, sobriety is a gift. Because it's, it's, it's the transformation, it's the psychic change at the very deepest levels of our unconscious minds that are happening to us. And, and people will see it happening in you before you recognize it's happening to yourself. The next section he goes into is um, acceptance, a step beyond recognition. He says, unless the unconscious has within it the capacity to accept, the conscious mind can only tell itself that it should accept. But by doing so, it cannot bring about acceptance in the unconscious, which continues with its own non-accepting and res resenting uh, attitudes. Plus, it gets the addition of shame. You know, I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling. Well, yes, you should, because you're feeling it, okay? The result is a house divided against itself, the conscious mind sees all the reasons for acceptance, but the unconscious mind is saying, I won't accept. Wholehearted acceptance under such conditions is impossible. He goes on, experience has proved that in the alcoholic, a half-hearted reaction does not maintain sobriety for very long. This is where I would somewhat disagree with Harry. The inner doubts all too soon take over, the alcoholic who stays dry must be wholehearted. Here we meet a complication. People accept the necessity of being wholehearted about alcoholism, but not about everything else. They are determined to maintain their capacity for resistance. They fear the fact that if they become total acceptors, they will have no ability whatsoever to resist and will become pushovers, complete Casper milk toasts. The 12 and 12 uses the phrase, boy, if I do this, I will become the hole in the donut. And this is the ego asserting itself, you know, and bringing up fear of change, of, of transformation. What will happen to me? There was a lovely recording that I, I ran across from Thomas Merton. He was a Trappist monk, uh, very wise, uh, wise man, contemplative. And he was asked if he believed in heaven. That was the question posed to him. Do you believe in heaven, Thomas? And he said, well, yes, I do believe in heaven, but there won't be much of me there. And that one really kind of stunned me because I think he is expressing what is actually going on in, the, in this process. The ego, oh, lovely little ego, I get, I get wings now, you know, I, I get to flap around, me will continue. And what Merton is saying, there won't be much of me there. 
It's a different kind of consciousness that he's talking about. It, it, it's to be immersed in God. Meditate on that one. It's the right use of, of your imagination, of your prayer life. To, to, meditation doesn't mean going to nothing. Meditation also means you can think about things deeply. Think about them in the presence of a power greater than yourself. Allow that power to express itself through you, in you. Soak in it, I had a friend who used to say. I soak in it each morning. And then he said, but I leak. Well, he had it right. Yeah, we soak in this. We soak in transformation. We soak in psychic change. We do our two-way prayer. We do our meditation. And then watch. You leak. <laughs> he says, powerful forces are aligned against acceptance, producing in the individual extreme conflict, which must be resolved if the capacity for acceptance is ever to develop. Goes into a discussion then of compliance uh, and partial surrender. We are thus confronted with the question, what does produce wholehearted acceptance? My answer, Harry says, is as before, surrender. But surrender, he goes on, is a step not easily taken by human beings. In recent years, because of my special interest in the phenomenon of surrender, I've become aware of another conscious and unconscious phenomenon, namely compliance, which is basically partial acceptance or partial surrender, and which often serves as a block to surrender. So Harry is, is down on compliance, but I am not so sure about that. You know, is it a block uh, or is it a stage on the way to surrender? Can you comply your way to surrender? I believe you can. You know, I believe um, uh, there, there is so much of me that is not surrendered, that is not aligned, uh, completely and fully with God. If you, I mean, that's the way I understand the Christian belief is who Jesus was. Uh, he had no separate ego that got in the way. I mean, that's, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. He was fully man, fully a human being, all right? Just like us, all right? But there was no contrary ego to get in the way of the God pouring, the God energy, the God presence pouring into him. What the early Christians would say, if you want to understand God, you look at Jesus. If you understand, and that, that's the only way it makes sense to me. You know, and what makes further sense to me is there's an invitation to us to participate in that. I mean, some of the early theologians said, you know what, God became man so that man could become God. That's not heresy, you know, but it's not talked about much. And I think that's what Merton meant. It's exactly what he meant. There won't be much of me there. There won't be much to separate me from that. I'll be experiencing that fully. All right? That's the goal, that God became man, another theologian so that man could become God. End of division, end of separation. 
that that's step 12, having had a spiritual experience and encounter with this love. Compliance needs careful definition. It means agreeing, going along, but in no way implies enthusiastic, wholehearted assent and approval. There is a willingness not to argue or resist, but the cooperation is a bit grudging, a little forced. One is not entirely happy about agreeing. Well, meet your, meet your inflated ego, because it's there. And these, these are the conditions that you're going to experience in that little sucker. Compliance is therefore a word which portrays mixed feelings, divided sentiments. There is a willingness to go along, but at the same time, there are some inner reservations which make that willingness somewhat thin and watery. I'm very suspicious of people who say, I'm just completely surrendered. I run like hell from those people, be they Christians or be they 12-step people, you know? They think they got it. And if you got it, you don't need nothing. All right. And you're very dangerous. He says, it is the nature of the word to have this two-faced quality of agreeing and then reneging. It is only by realizing the widespread ramification of the compliance tendency that its far-flung importance can be appreciated. Oh, he got that right. This unconscious split in the compliance mechanism has deep psychosomatic reservations. And, uh, you know, um, this is step three. We, we, do, we do an initial surrender, I think, you know, but then you get to six and seven. You're talking about a much, much deeper, deeper level of surrender. That's where the work is, eh? Harry kind of ends, and, and I think I need to as well. <laughs> he says, uh, enough has been said, it would seem, to show the significance and the importance of understanding the relationship between compliance and the ability to surrender and accept. They are in complete opposition. As long as the former controls reactions, there can be no wholehearted acceptance, only the half-hearted kind, which is admittedly not sufficient. Results of real value can only come about when the compliant reactions have been successfully dissipated. Well, good luck. That to me is a lifelong journey of spiritual growth. It is the only journey worth taking, but be assured you are going to meet elements that are unsurrendered, unaligned in your human ego. That's what 10 is there for, to catch these things, to watch myself, to see myself doing and feeling uh, how egotism operates. And then you'll know how prayer operates. He says there's no easy road to understanding. So some will ask, how can this be brought about? The answer, insofar as I've been able to formulate it, Harry says, is long, involved, and rather hazy. Oh, these psychiatrists. Experience shows that through psychotherapy, the dominance of compliance over the unconscious can slowly be superseded. Well, I think that's true. You know, I mean, I read one guy said, you know, he, he, did, he did psychotherapy for 10 years. And, and he was a constant victim. 10 years. Why me? Why me? Why me? And he finally got his answer. Why not me? <laughs> Took him 10 years to get to that. Okay. <laughs> huh? and you do the same thing in AA or, or whatever 12-step program you're in. Huh? He says that through the AA experience, 12-step experience, compliance can be temporarily 
and sometimes permanently blotted out. I question that one, but that's me. If you're more spiritually advanced, I'd love to hear from you that you totally blotted out uh, compliance. You're totally in uh, surrender and uh, divine communication with God, and there's just no interruption to the flow. Well, he says there does not appear to be any uh, an easy road to real understanding of this problem. Well, you know, and I think that's why uh, Harry was uh, basically a Freudian in his approach, and 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 the, where Freud wound up is you're going to live a life of frustration. That's just the nature of the human condition. And Jung took a different uh, approach. He said the spiritual life is real. And you need to, we need to enter into that life. We need to let that life flow through us. And how does it do it? Largely through active imagination, you know, through using the powers of the mind properly. What, what do we say in 12-step? In hey, what we have is a daily reprieve based upon our spiritual condition. Uh, I think that's right. That's a, exactly right. And my spiritual condition is up and down. And I suspect so is yours. And when it's down, don't be so down on yourself. You know, don't be so down on yourself. Use that opportunity of going down to open yourself up to something else that is present within you. you there, there's a line, uh, I, I should also do a series on the book of Job um, that's extremely important. Um, and there's a line in, you know, Job suffered all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and that's, that's what it's a story about. It's a story about human suffering. The human condition is a line that uh, I just love uh, in, in it, where he's, he says to Yahweh, though you slay me, yet will I put my trust in you. Though you slay me, yet will I put my trust in you. He's not denying that he's getting slain, and he got slain. I mean, crap happened to him big time. Tremendous. That's the point of the story. Stuff happens. Right? But you can either curse God and curse life, or you, uh, you, can, you can find meaning and presence within that pain, and that can be transformational. Victor Frankl, who was another author that I, I read a lot in my first year of recovery, because I was in real pain, suffering, you know, and confusion. And here was a guy, a Jewish man, a psychiatrist, who found himself in a concentration camp, in a Nazi concentration camp. And his goal was to find meaning and purpose in his life, then and there. And what he came away from that experience with was it's possible. And if you can hang on to that, if you can find it there, you can find it anywhere. He found it. And he found that, that that's the thing that people need, need to have. So this unconscious is tremendously powerful. And um, if, if you're in a state of compliance, eh, that's okay, uh, no matter what Harry says. But you can't stay there. You know, stay there as long as you, you need to, but you got to move beyond it. And that, he's right, uh, is going to entail surrender and, and, and alignment with life, alignment with the power of, uh, of 
we call it God. It's a terrible name for it. I, I wish we would not, the Jews have the wisdom not to even say the name as if it's a noun, as if it's something over there that I can touch, manipulate. I can't, but I can experience it and I can experience it together. To me, that's what two-way prayer is about, doing it together and then sharing it with other people. Uh, I love hearing people's two-way prayers because uh, they have a level of honesty and uh, an experience of their pain, uh, but a healing property to them as well. To me, that's where it's at. So uh, I think we'll do one more thing on, on Harry, uh, another article that uh, I think has, uh, has some merit. It's on uh, anonymity, although I, I just read it this morning and I didn't find a lot on anonymity per se, and not in the way we talk about it in uh, 12 step, but he's got some good points in there. And we'll do that and call it a wrap on Harry. So thank you for listening. I hope this stuff was helpful. If so, drop me a line, let me know, um, and see you next time. God bless and keep coming back. Thank you.